Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to Hebrews 7 and 26, that's where we're going to start. Uh, I got the opportunity not to continue our series, Unexpected and Unsanitary and Unusual, the first Christmas. Um, and I'm, man, it was just I love, what a wonderful cap on the night, amen, just the day was wonderful, and I want to say thank you to the church for what I got to see our young people do today, um, just raising hands and praising Jesus, and unashamedly, you know, and we're training those babies, right, and <clears throat> I got a tickle in my throat there, but uh, very, very good stuff, so. Tonight, we hope to continue that, and of course, it was really easy kind of going. It fit right into our series, Behind the Manger Scene, because you know that that wasn't the most sanitary place to have a kid. So uh, I, was, I was thinking about that. I was thinking how much hand-in-hand hand they go, but it's really good. As I was preparing for tonight, I was thinking about um, this unsanitary aspect of Christ and his life and I was thinking uh, and we've all seen them the pictures of the children that are hungry maybe an Ethiopian child that stands at a river bank and looks down into dirty water that's certainly not the only place that has in Mexico in these different countries you could pick a country and it would be there and uh, I wonder sometimes if that's not um, how we look spiritually like we were absolutely desperate without Christ like we, we could put ourselves in that baby's place and say, God, without you, I'm drinking water that will not nourish me. I don't have any way to have any kind of nourishment, and I really don't have any protection whatsoever. I'm just caught and lost to the conditions, to the environment, and to the world. And as I was preparing tonight for this, I was thinking, that's, that, that's, that's where we were. And, and just in that unsanitary world. And, and now Christ says, what I'm going to do is save you <laughs> and now your job is to go out into that world and change it and change it for the greater cause of Jesus Christ and, and, and be able to function in a world like that is just something I don't think I can wrap my head around spiritually, but I know that it's true and that it's real. And here in Hebrews 7 and 26, it says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separate, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens man that says it all doesn't it father our hearts are bowed to you and as we endeavor tonight to read through scripture to really concentrate on this unsanitary aspect god we pray that you'd speak to our hearts and um, reveal to us what you want to say god that we'd learn more about your word because we love you and we ultimately want to honor you in every way and everybody says Amen, amen. So here, Jesus is confirmed in the scripture. Now, I've chosen Hebrews seven twenty six. We won't pick it apart, but a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above all the heavens. Gave up all of that to come down into a world for us. And we know the great scripture of John three sixteen. But just some other scriptures, Acts 3, uh, 3 and 14, um, it, we know that Jesus is identified as holy and righteous one. In 1 Peter 2 and 22, we know that it states that he committed no sin. In 1 John 3 and 5, and I know I'm going through these pretty quick here, but just to kind of give us a reference, 1 John 3 and 5, and in him there is no sin. And then 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, for our sake he made him um, to be sin who knew no sin. So you, you virtually cannot open up your Bible and find a page in it 
particularly in the New Testament, that doesn't confirm that Jesus is holy and righteous and he's the one that he's supposed to be. And coming into a world like this, we don't understand. I mean, it's just virtually impossible to do that. So there could be a whole host of other scriptures that were there. And, and as we endeavor on our task tonight, I really want to start out with understanding titles. Now, title is not more important than function, okay? Function is more important than titles any day. And as I was reading some scriptures here in Luke, I was thinking about the title that John the Baptist had. Because many people even went up to him and said, are you Elijah, are you this prophet, are you that prophet, are you Jesus Christ? And he said, no, I'm not any of those. And, but yet Christ, uh, God put a title on him. But we see the separate title that we find for Christ. So if you want to turn a little bit to Luke there, uh, Luke chapter 1, and, and as we concentrate here on John the Baptist, now why is it so important that we understand John the Baptist? Because in our culture, in our world today, people want to constantly put a human before Jesus Christ. So I, I picked John the Baptist A, um, he's the forerunner for Jesus Christ, right? So he, he, he is the called man of God to do what he's supposed to do. Um, so, and as far as somebody who has sacrificed everything up to the point of his head on a platter um, for the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, then he's the guy. So if we're going to exalt anybody above him, but even he doesn't exalt himself. So there we see in, in chapter 1, verse 76, we see a prophet of the Most High. And then we also see in other places that he's the proclaimer of the will of God. He's the preparer of the way. He's a voice in the wilderness. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and he was chosen at such a young age that Mary runs into the house and Elizabeth hears her voice and John leaps within her womb. Now, so, so he's, he's a chosen guy. But even in his title, he's still not equal to Jesus Christ. He's not equal to the supreme Jesus Christ that was completely clean in every way. He was still a mortal man. And then we go to the Virgin Mary. So people have, have taken Mary and put her up on a pedestal, and we've got to pray through her to get to Jesus. Well, Jesus said he was the door. <laughs> he didn't say I had to go through a door to get to a door to get to another door. Uh, that's, that's the caste system, man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's, that's, not, that's not Christianity. But here in, in the Virgin Mary, whenever the angel Gabriel talks to Mary, um, he does say that you're a favored one and you're full of grace. Now, that's very important because it still puts her below Christ because it shows us that she is a recipient of divine grace. Okay, she is not the dispenser. The dispenser is Jesus Christ. She is the recipient. Now, just like we had our little baby Mary up there that said, there's no more room in here. <laughs> I imagine she felt like a dispenser. <laughs> Let's get this kid out, right? I mean, I'm sure uh, I was joking with my wife today, and I said that little girl was a little bit ahead of her time. She understood some stuff that maybe, <laughs> you know, she had her little belly out, and I was like, yeah, whew, and she'd raise those hands up, and you could tell she couldn't get them all the way up because of her belly. It was so funny. It was just a little styrofoam thing, that it was, but it was so funny, you know, but, uh, but, but Mary here is, is, is a recipient just like we are. She is not, now she was chosen by God for the task of carrying baby Jesus, um, but she still was not. Now let's look at what God said about Jesus. So he, he's talking to Mary and he's talking to Joseph. And, and before this, in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 32, it says, He will be great. 
Now that's not enough because this is the same thing that was said about John the Baptist, is that he will be great. But if we look down and keep reading in that same verse of Luke chapter 1 verse 32, we see that he is the son of the Most High. So he's not a prophet, he's not a mouthpiece, he's, he's not receiving grace, he is the son of the living God, right? And, and then, then in verse 35 of chapter 1, it says that again, he is the son of God. Now, this is important because the son would represent equality to God. So he's not, now we know that he filled every office, right? The prophetic office and all those different offices he could teach and pastor and preach better than anybody. But the reason why he had the title of the son of God is because obviously he was the son of God, but it shows the equality to God. Because if I'm looking at the son, and we know this from our biological kids, if I'm looking at the son or daughter, I'm really looking at the parent. And it shows that equality. Now that's important because as we decide what is so important about Christ, the holy, the righteous one coming down into an environment that is completely unsanitary. Because he was the son of God, he did not have to to do that God did not have to reveal himself through Jesus Christ to us he didn't have to do that and it with these titles it shows us that uh, that 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 was his place now one commentator says uh, it says that the son bears the quality of his father okay so the son bears the quality of his father and that signifies equality now in John uh, chapter 1 verse 14 we see it repeated again the only begotten of the father and then in matthew 1 and 23 isaiah 7 and 14 we see that it says emmanuel god with us so we see those titles if you will okay or those names which is incredibly important because why are we celebrating jesus christ why are we not celebrating john the baptist why are we not celebrating mary why are we not celebrating the apostles all those men and women being great in every area that they've they've performed their function in because they're not the son of God. They're, 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 not, they're not the only begotten of the Father. So as we go into this Christmas season, when people ask us why, and, and why, do you, why, do you, why do you read the word, and why do we believe in the word? Because it shows us and tells us unequivocally that Jesus Christ was the son of God since birth, it bef- really before the foundations of the earth. So as I begin to think about this, I begin to realize that Jesus Christ really is the personification of grace, of God's grace. And I, I was processing some things, and I was thinking, okay, so how do I present unsanitary? How do I do that? And I think the first thing that I see as I read Scripture is Christ being born into the unsanitary conditions. And, and, and what we're going to talk about is he was born into the unsanitary conditions, but what does that mean to me? Because everything that happened happened for a reason, and we all believe that. Now, I just went to Barnes & Noble uh, just because I wanted to, and I, I typed in their search engine, you know, Jesus and his birthplace. There was like over 700 books or something that I could have bought. So there is all kinds of reading material. We're very familiar with chances are the stable didn't look like that, right? <laughs> chances are the major, it probably wasn't made out of pine, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it wasn't made like that, probably. 
they think it might have been what we would consider a cave where you walk into it and there would have been a little trough dug out and some rock and some different things like that. But we also know that he was wrapped in clothes that was there on site. We know that he was laid in a manger, some type of manger that we could imagine would have been. Uh, we know that there were no doctors or nurses that we know of. The scripture doesn't, doesn't read that. There were no beds. Um, we also know that there were no mansions and no state-of-the-art technology. There wasn't any room in the inn. So here he is born in one of the most unsanitary conditions that you can think of that a baby is being born into. Now understand that the linen may be clean and come, could have come off priestly robes and the lambs were being birthed and we know all these type of, type of things that was going on in. But even with all of that, how many of us would still birth our child in a manger? So the unsanitary conditions, but as we read Matthew 8, we see that this now becomes a theme for his life. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And we begin to see that these conditions that he's born into is now a theme for his life, and it's for our freedom, so we don't have to be caught in that same condition. So we don't have to be that child by the river that knows there is no chance of me surviving, and I'm forced to do what I'm about to do. But Christ says, no, we're not going to do that, being born into the earth. I'm going to give you a way, okay? Now, what can I glean? So what can we glean from this? The first thing that I think as I read is just because the conditions don't line up doesn't mean I need to stop doing what I know to do. Okay? So, so Jesus was born in a complete unsanitary situation, and then we have his mother and his father. Okay, we have Mary and Joseph. Well, they know that they're going to have a baby. Um, they came and said, you need to go do the census. So they go into town and go into Bethlehem and, and do the census. Mary has the baby because it's on the way. Joseph, Joseph tries to go to the inn and get a room, but there's no room there. Um, the baby's born. And then after the baby's born, before they uh, abide by the law of Moses, they actually stay back for, I think, around eight days of purification. So they're doing what they know to do. And then after baby Jesus is born, the shepherds come, these type of things, they bring baby Jesus to where? The temple. I mean, they, they heard, think about this. This is what I was thinking. They heard from the angel, but it didn't come with an instruction manual. So here are all these conditions that they didn't ask for around this environment that hasn't changed. The thing that's changed is baby Jesus has been born. They're still in the town, Right? They go in, and think about this, they walk into the temple, Simeon's there. Simeon is amazed, I mean, to the point where he says, I can die now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think of this, I mean, you, you heard from the angel, you know to some degree what's going on, but all these reactions, but yet they still go, and then what they do, they just hand him to Simeon, and they perform what's on the law, because despite the conditions around them, they still did what they knew to do. There's a, there's a group of men called uh, the Boys of 36. So in 1936, they go to Berlin to, be it, to perform in the Olympics. And there, they're part of a rowing team. And, of course, Hitler is rising to power, and Hitler kind of wants to earn, uh, own the Olympics in Berlin. Of course, that's his home country. He's trying to rise to power. We know how important sports are on a global scale, right? So they, they practice every day, and, and they... They, as I was reading a little bit of their story, how did they win the gold? They, win, they won the gold because they showed up and did what they needed to do despite the conditions. 
These were, many of them were for lower class income families. So they would go to work and then they would row for hours at a day. They would practice, they would go to work to pay the bills so they could be in school so they could go to the Olympics. And how did they win the Olympics? How did they ultimately meet their goal? They went to work, they went to row, they paid the bills, they went to work, they went to row, they went to school, they paid the bills, and they did that day after day after day. And that's what we see really with Joseph and Mary. And I can glean from that, that if I look around and I see, man, the conditions, God, aren't lining up to what I think you need to put into my life or what I think I deserve. Well, the way that I change that is I don't. <laughs> I keep doing what I need to do and keep believing. So what does that mean for us? That means I keep giving, I keep praying, I keep celebrating Christ. Sometimes it's hard to celebrate when everything's not lining up, right? We had Thanksgiving at our house this year, and man, it was one of the weirdest Thanksgivings I ever had. Uh, the food was great, and Mary did a great job of cooking, and we cooked together, but everybody that we met with was, of course, over FaceTime, and that didn't work. So then we tried to do a Zoom, and that barely worked. <laughs> so I just made up my mind. I said, I'm going to eat a hot meal. I don't know what either you else is going to do, but I'm going to eat, and then I'll fellowship, right? Uh, but you, 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 it's hard to celebrate when things aren't working out. But you, we have to choose to celebrate Christ anyways. These conditions of an insanitary nature, Christ being born, but it didn't matter. I mean, Joseph and Mary still worship to the form of their actions. I'm still going to take care of this baby boy the best that I can. Uh, outside of putting my marriage on halt for a while. Um, and then we're going to involve ourselves the best way we can at church. Remember, they, what they do. The new baby's born, the conditions aren't lining up. In our culture today, we push ourselves away from the church and we try to find less to do. What did they do? They said, no, we've got to go to temple. It's only been eight days, but we've got to go. I think that's an interesting point. That there's some stuff that we still need to do despite our life has changed and conditions that we don't agree with. We still have got to get to the temple. Here's, here's one for us that we know in, in our culture fights. Go ahead and keep showing up to work. <laughs> the conditions aren't, so I'm going to keep working, keep paying bills. Um, while I'm there, I'm actually going to work. I'm not just going to, you know, arrive. You know, I'm going to keep submitting job applications and believing God. Because God has given us, an, a, 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 he wants to birth something in us like with Mary. There, there's, a, there's maybe that child that we've been desiring and we've been wanting. I think Zachariah shows us that that can happen, you know. But then we go and there's an idea that God has given you. There's a job that you felt like he's promised us. There's a, there's a career that we're trying to build. There's a spouse that needs to be saved or healed. There's a family member that we need to keep seeing God work in their life. And the conditions around us, it seems like it keeps getting worse. So now we're about to get married, Mary and Joseph, we're about to get married we can't get married, we go in for a census, we can't even find a hotel room, so we wind up in a manger. I mean, it seems like their conditions continue to get worse, but they kept doing what they knew to do. And if we are tired, what do we do? We fight. If we're scared, we fight. If we don't completely understand, we fight. If we're not getting what we want, we show up and fight, amen? And that's what we do. There's a wonderful story about a, store, uh, a, a shoe cobbler and he was teaching his son to be a cobbler. And day after day, they would work. And of course, that's really hard work on your hands when you're dealing with those leather shoes and you have to know exactly what to do. And the number one lesson that this young man learned from his father was simply this, that your testimony is tied to your work ethic. People would come into the store 
and he would, the cobbler would take every opportunity that he could to witness and to encourage the people. But he knew that if the product that he was pushing out didn't show or resemble the same amount of belief that he had in his God, then it wouldn't matter. That's the reason why we can have faith in Joseph and Mary. Our faith is in Jesus Christ, but we look at them in admiration because they kept going. Their belief was directly tied to how they treated Jesus Christ, that we're going to do the very best that we can. So Galatians 6 and 10, so then when we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. Boy, they fulfilled that, right? Psalms 37 and 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend. Here, the, here this psalm is telling us to befriend faithfulness. Let it be a companion, a constant companion, that despite the conditions around us, we're still going to do it. Amen? And that's what we can gain from that, that, that although it looks like unsanitary conditions, our Savior was born into that. And, and I... Many times I talk particularly to young people because it seems like as you get older, you just experience more and you understand more. They'll get a new job. Well, everybody around me cusses. They don't, well, do you think God put you there for a light, bro? You know, instead of trying to bail at two weeks after you get a job, maybe God wants you to see some of those people get saved. You know, obviously, you know, we can look at their sins, so we're perfect. <laughs> I don't say that, I don't say that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you want to, you know, you want to. But, but that's, that's really it. Uh, you, you, maybe God puts you there for a specific reason and he wants to reach you because he's got something for you and the only way you do it is to show up, show up, show up, do what you can. Do what you can, amen? And then the next unsanitary uh, part of this that I see is the physical body that Christ received. I mean, he's in heaven. <laughs> he doesn't have any worries. He doesn't know pain. He doesn't know hunger. He doesn't know thirst. God doesn't know any of that. But yet he wraps himself in flesh and comes down to earth for us. In this human body, and we know that because it says Christ born of a baby as a human, the immortal becomes flesh, God with us. Yeah. And as we look at, as I was studying that, I was thinking, God, you gave up a, 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 a celestial body for, for me. And to come down and, and feel what I feel. Philippians 2, 7 and 8, very familiar. But made him of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. It would have been bad enough to come to heaven and be a king and, and live in a great palace somewhere and be pampered all the time. But he took on the form of a servant. Well, what does that mean to the body? Well, we know. As we do hard work, what does that mean to our body? It breaks down even quicker. It, it, it makes life harder. So not only did he come and, and give up his immaculate body for a human body, but he did it in such a form that it was going to break down quicker because he had to work hard because it was the form of a servant. And being fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the cross. So it's not enough that he's going to have a mortal body but we also understand that he is going to get beat and feel that pain and that hunger and that thirst. In Hebrews 4 and 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I mean, it's one thing to tempt me because I might say yes. Right? It's, I mean, at one point tempting Jesus 
it would be offensive to Jesus. <laughs> like, I'm Jesus, I'm not going to do this. You can tempt me as much as you want to. So just that thought alone that he gave up in heaven, never being tempted to come down to earth, knowing that he was going to be sin, uh, sinless, even though he was tempted in every way that we were, and he had the human body that desired some of that stuff, but yet he rejected it because he was sinless and he was perfect. He still made the choice to do that and give up that he um, heavenly body for us. Now, we know that this was such a great sacrifice. So what does this mean to us? So what do we have to do? How can we look at Christ's example and say, okay, God, you said yes to this earthly body. And I want to be able to say yes to this earthly body, but be at the full, fullest capacity that I can be. Well, the first thing that is easy, we have to accept the child. We have to be willing to look at the manger, look at the trough, whatever we want to call it, and see that the Savior of the world came as a baby. I love how they put it in the play. A baby? He came, I mean, come on, we'd want a guy on a white horse and a spear or a gun or something, right? A tank, you know? But that's not what happened. So we have to be willing to accept this Christ child just like the Christ child is. It, it, Jesus doesn't need any modifications for us to accept him. I was talking to my youth the other night, and I was leading them through this process of understanding what Christmas really meant. And I was talking to them about Mary, and I said that she was promised a son. And I said, how many sons? They said, one. We talked about how Christ is the door. I said, how many doors? One. And then it talks about I am the way. I said, how many ways? They said, one. And then I took them to Acts 4 and 12 where it says, neither is there salvation in any other name. I said, so how many names contain salvation? They said, one. I said, do you guys understand why we celebrate Christmas? Because there was one baby, there is one name, there is one door, and there is one way. And that's it. I have to accept him like he is. The shepherds used to sleep at the gates. So, of course, you would have the, the, she, uh, the sheep pen that was made out of rocks or whatever that could have been made out of multiple things. And one of the things that the shepherds did was actually sleep. So there would have been a narrow gateway, probably about the size of this lectern here, and they, they would have slept in the middle of it. Well, Jesus doesn't say, I sleep at the door. He said, I am the door. I, I am what you're looking for. So we have to accept the child. So for me to be able to be operating full capacity in this mortal body, as I've seen Jesus Christ, he accepted his mission and he fulfilled it. So I have to accept him like he is. And then this morning, I think the next thing that, I, that we have to do is I alluded to it, we have to walk in wonder. As I was talking about Mary this morning, I, just, I love how she said, but I'm just a virgin. You know the reason why I didn't say virgin this morning is because we had a lot of little ears in here. <laughs> I didn't want them to go home at lunch and be like, hey, mom and dad, what was Pastor Matt talking about? <laughs> so I said, they didn't know a, know a man. I said that actually the day before in practice, and some of the people's face were like, I was like, I should have said that. So, uh, <laughs> so but that Mary answers this, how can it be since I'm a virgin? And then the, 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 uh, the angel reveals to her exactly how the Holy Spirit's going to come upon her and the Spirit of God will overshadow her. But she had that wonder about her. She had that childlike wonder. And I know she was young, but she still had that wonder. Then I think about the wonderful example of Paul on the road to Damascus. He says, who are you, Lord? It, it wasn't a rebellious statement. It wasn't anything like that. Like, he really wanted to know. 
I've never experienced what I'm experiencing right now. And here we have in, in, in the first part of Matthew there, or Luke, where Zacharias is, you've been a preacher for years, friend, and you're questioning God. I mean, you're having dialogue with an angel, and you start telling God why he can't do what he's about to do. You know, that's the reason why he had to go mute. But these other two, they didn't do that. They had that childlike wonder. And I think for us as adults, it's easy to lose that, right? It's really to have that wonder, the older you get, it becomes more of a decision and more of an attitude. That God, I'm going to choose to believe in things that seem impossible because that's what your word says to do. And I'm going to believe it. And, and we know that there, this is nothing new for us. We know that it can be hard sometimes. Sometimes we can be blinded by our ability to provide. As, as you get older, you get more established. Things become a little bit easier to buy. Maybe you don't need that wonder so much because we've got a little bit of coin in the bank or something like that, right? In those moments where we were at our worst, that Christ was at his best. And we're like, we don't know how this is going to happen, but God, I know that you can do it. So I'm coming to you as a child with wonder in my eyes. I don't know if you guys have ever watched The Guardians. It's a great Christmas movie. And in that, there's this uh, young man named, he plays the role of Jack Frost, and it's a cartoon. And Jack Frost um, actually saves his little sister on an icy pond, and he falls in, and that's how he perishes. And of course, we know this is all mythical, okay? I don't believe in Jack Frost. <laughs> We're talking about Jesus. But he's in the, the shop where they build toys with Santa. And Santa's a big Russian Santa Claus, and it's pretty funny. But, but he has these Russian dolls, and he begins to pull the Russian dolls apart, you know, to get down to the smallest one, the core. And whenever he gives it to Jack Frost, and he pulls it out, and Santa's looking at him, and he finally pulls it out to the smallest Santa doll. And Santa's eyes are like this big around painted on this doll, right? So this doll's big, and, 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 and he looks at Jack Frost, and he goes, do you know what that represents? And he goes, no, he said it represents the wonder, the reason why I can be Santa Claus is because I still have that wonder in my heart. I have that wonder of how kids are going to get all these Christmas presents, of, of how we're going to be able to make these of the provision. And I think my eyes, God, when I go into prayer, they need to be big and white and say, God, I believe that you can do this. But there are those many times that the task is dawning, dealing with pride issues. We all have those. And then we also see many times where we see the favor of the Lord um, become something that overarches the chase of God. And we're just like, God, we don't want to be in that place. Timothy speaks to, or excuse me, Paul speaks to Timothy on this. In, in 2 Timothy 2 and 1, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in grace that is in Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Once again, we just walk in wonder. You keep standing you keep serving you keep equipping you keep teaching and then he goes on in that same set of verses he says and don't get caught up in a bunch of useless stuff really really think about what you're pouring yourself into and if it seems like it's going to be of no benefit then don't do it and of course we know that that is also echoed in Ephesians 6 when it says when we've done all to stand we stand right 
And what does it mean? It's that same thing. God, I'm going to stand here. I'm going to pray as if it's the first time I ever prayed for it. I'm going to believe as if it's the first time I've ever believed for it. As I read this scripture, I pray that it's like the first time. If, if nothing else, God, it grips my heart even more because you've proven yourself time and time and time again. And just like that little Russian doll, my eyes are going to be big with excitement and expectation because I'm standing before the God of the universe. Amen. Amen. Now, as we go on here, um, we see that also uh, what I want to bring up tonight is the unsanitary lifestyles. So Jesus came down to earth to people he could read their mind. How many times in Scripture does it say he knew what they were going to say before they said it? So here we see this unsanitary lifestyle choice. And there's three categories that I see here in Scripture. The first category that I see are the Herods or the haters. So he gave up a place in position for a bit, right? Okay. He was born into the earth. And he had to deal with people like Herod. And never having to deal with that, God would have never had to deal with that in heaven. And, and here, these people who are Herods or haters, we, we, we see this. They seem to always, and if we read Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6, we can kind of gather some of this. It seems like they're always gathering intel. The, the haters are always gathering intel about our God. Yeah, oh, well, he didn't do this, or this didn't happen, or, or this is the reason why. You know, they picked the craziest Christian you've ever met and based all of Christianity on that one episode, right? And that's what, that's what Herod did. And then we go in there to see how, how the links that he went to destroy God's will. We see that, that, um, that he had a problem with, that Herod had a problem with anger. And we all know people like that. They're just enraged with anger. Even to the point of killing male children in Bethlehem and the surrounding areas. I mean, what a horrendous crime. And Christ gave up heaven's seat to come down here and do that for us. To, 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 to engage with the haters. Reading these minds time and time again of going into these unsanitary spiritual conditions where it's yet for us because we don't have the, the capability that Jesus had. But he would walk into a house and yet again it was another dinner where he knew he was going to be challenged. Where he knew somebody was going to put him down. He knew somebody didn't think he was worthy. Time and time and time again. I mean how much more of a trashy situation than you can get an unhealthy situation than that. Yet he still did it. And then we see another type of people that he encountered here on earth. The distraught or the distracted. The hustle and bustle, and I think they did a great job today showing us. People were coming into town for the census. And, I mean, looking back now, we can all make fun of the innkeeper. He completely missed it, right? But he was so distraught or distracted with the business that was going on that he didn't even have time to think about somebody in need. How many times did Jesus through his life encounter that? People were just too busy. God, I, I want to change Jesus. Well, go sell off everything you own. I don't know about that, you know. Or, or God, I'm going to follow you, but first I got to go. No, you follow me now. I don't know. But yet he encountered it time and time and time again. And, and in this distraught distractedness, we see that it happens so much in our world today. We're, we're just over overemphasized with activities my goodness 
We've always got something to feel that. And I was thinking about Mark chapter 5 where Jesus cast out an evil spirit in a young boy. And, and matter of fact, the boy comes up, and we know the story well. He, he bows before him, and what's your name? Well, my name is Legion because of all the demons that were in this young boy. It's presumed or man. And God cast him out. Jesus cast him out into a swine. And, and the swine run off the cliff. And what were the people more concerned about than the, than the man who just had his life back? The pigs. They were completely distracted by a little bit of money. And we look at our world today, how many people are distracted by the pursuit of that? And it's the same thing that Christ encountered, the distraught and the distracted. There's just so much going on. But as I was looking at this third group here, I was looking at the wise men or the worshipers. So how can I fight against those unsanitary lifestyles to make sure that my life doesn't fall into that? How do I make sure that I fight against being a Herod or a hater? How do I make sure I fight against being that distraught or that distracted person? Well, I think I become like the wise men or the worshipers. This is the final group here, and even the shepherds in the field, I mean, they laid down what they were doing and said, we've got to go see this Jesus. And these are the people that show us in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2, um, we see the wise men, they're, they're seeking. They say, where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. They, I, I'm not too busy. I'm going to stop doing what I was doing. I'm going to go and search to find this man named Jesus and find this baby. And we were looking because we saw the star. That means they had to be looking. And we didn't just come so that we can say we arrived, but we're going to come to worship. And we see these wise men and these worshipers. I love that the, the, those, the men who lost all their pigs who ran off the cliff with that demon-possessed man, it says that he went into the next town and he began to tell the story of what Christ had done in his life. He wasn't too busy. He became that worshiper. He became the wise man. And whenever he shared a story, it says, of course, in Scripture, Mark chapter 5, verse 20, it says that everyone marveled. So what do these men have that we want, these women have that we want? Well, first of all, they're people, right? The next is they're lookers or they're seekers. This is the big one for me is all these guys that I see were not afraid to rearrange their life for the kingdom of God. I'm going to cancel some things. I'm going to put some things off. There, there, there's a thing that I'm trying to accomplish here. And then they were listening for God to speak. It might have happened through the star. It might have happened another way. But they were still listening. And when they heard him speak, they did something. That's the biggest thing. Worship is actions. The worship wasn't when the wise men just came and laid their gifts at the feet of Christ. It was the journey to get there. It was, it was whenever they stood before Herod and they said, no, we've got to, and they, they were warned and then they left a different way despite what possibly could have happened to them. They were worshipers. And tonight, that's what I see in here, guys. I see a bunch of us that are, we're worshiping God to the best of our ability. We're trying to recognize the name and realize that, God, we're putting you in your place. You're the son of the most high. You're the son of God. You're Emmanuel, God with us. And whenever we do this, Proverbs 10 and 11 says, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Think about whenever Mary said, yes, I'm gonna be a worshiper and I'm gonna take on this task of, of birthing baby Jesus and then she walks in on Elizabeth and what does John do? Leaps in the womb. Yeah. That fountain of life, man. 
that fountain of life. In Proverbs verse t- uh, chapter 10 and verse 21, it says, the lips of the righteous feed many. Of course, we know that Jesus fed the multitudes whenever he broke the bread and prayed over it. But I also think about John. I think about how people would come up to him and say, John, who are you? And he would say, listen, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not a prophet. Matter of fact, he would say, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Why would he say that? Because he wanted all the attention to be on Jesus Christ. It wasn't about him being another person or being like something. What I am telling you about is the son of the living God, Jesus Christ. And as I look at these worshipers and these wise men, I see the lips of the righteous feed many. Think about John, all those many times that he was out preaching and gathering. How many people came and were baptized and their lives forever changed. Matter of fact, whenever the disciples asked Christ to teach them how to pray, what do they say? They say, would you teach us how to pray like we saw John praying? (laughs) Would you teach us how to pray? Why? Because from his lips he was feeding the true bread of life. Because, we were, because he was true worshipers, and that's what we want to be. Amen. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.